This is the Calm Living Blueprint, episode number five. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are feeling alone in your pursuit of calm and confidence, know that today, right now, in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of others all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. At Calm Living, we believe it's only when we stop struggling against our fearfulness and our anxiety that we begin to find lasting freedom from it, to live the lives we want to live. That is what this podcast is about. Come join the Confidence Revolution. Well, hello. Welcome to episode 5 of the Calm Living Blueprint podcast. I'm your host, Candice Esposito. Thanks for downloading and listening to this podcast. I hope you get a lot of value out of it. I'm excited about this episode because I know it's an area that people always wonder about and it's something that we actually have complete control over. Food. The food that we put in our mouth and how it affects our mood. Now before we get into that, just a quick reminder that the show notes for every episode are available on the Calm Living Blueprint website. The show notes include the actual mp3 recording, the transcript of the podcast, any resources that I mention, as well as the home play that I recommend in each episode. The show notes for today's episode can be found at calmlivingblueprint.com forward slash five. And that's the number five as in episode number five. All right, so let's get right into it. More and more research indicates that diet affects mental health. Now, the research examining diet has focused more so on generalized anxiety and depression in comparison to social anxiety specifically. However, I think there are definitely some lessons that we can glean from these studies that are certainly applicable to social anxiety as well. So we'll start with some population-based studies. These are ones that follow the habits of a specific population over time. And these have shown that people who consume a traditional diet, one consisting of vegetables, fruits, and lean non-processed meats, had a decreased likelihood of anxiety. They had less anxiety. Now the researchers use the word traditional to indicate foods that the population or culture would have eaten hundreds of years ago. Whole foods that have been around uh, over, over the years. Not like packaged or processed stuff that's only relatively recently been introduced into our diets. You know, full of man-made or synthesized chemicals. And researchers have also observed the opposite, where people consuming a Western diet, you know, a high a diet that's high in processed meats, pizza, chocolates, sweets, soft drinks, margarine, french fries, beer, coffee, cake, and ice cream. A Western diet like that had, people that consumed that had a significantly increased likelihood 
of anxiety. They had more anxiety. So what's happening here? Well, researchers theorize that increased stress levels cause us to reach for highly palatable foods that are found in a typical Western diet. They call these highly palatable. It just means that, again, they contain these synthesized chemicals that can be a lot more stimulating or appealing to us. However, these types of foods, although they have short-term effects, over time they carry long-term consequences that are definitely detrimental to our health. Processed foods actually increase what are called reactive oxygen species, and that causes oxidative stress that can contribute to the development of anxiety over time. Now, what does all that mean? Well, you can basically think of oxidation like a rusting process. You know, rusting iron is a good analogy to think of. Essentially, it causes damage to our DNA, to our proteins, and the membranes in our body. Okay, not good. Now, to summarize the research findings that I just talked about so far, it's pretty simple. You want to eat a clean, whole foods-based diet. Real food. Food that doesn't require a label, or if it does have a label, it doesn't have ingredients on the label that you can't even pronounce. Now, another dietary factor I want to mention is a condition called reactive hypoglycemia. Hypoglycemia. Reactive hypoglycemia is when there is an excess fall in blood glucose or blood sugar. Okay, your, your blood sugar levels fall and that causes your body to compensate by releasing epinephrine and norepinephrine. Sometimes they're also referred to as adrenaline or noradrenaline. Now, this response or reaction helps bring your blood sugar levels back to normal. However, it also triggers the fight or flight response, which itself can manifest as anxiety, palpitations, sweating, tiredness, depression, forgetfulness, nervousness, poor concentration, and irritability. Now, I want to stress that hypoglycemia is not diabetes. Okay, hypoglycemia is not diabetes. The symptoms of hypoglycemia reflect the fact that the brain is not being fueled properly at that point in time. The brain relies on glucose as its fuel. Now, many studies have shown that reactive hypoglycemia is a common contributing factor and in a lot of cases, the main cause of chronic anxiety. People with reactive hypoglycemia may notice that their symptoms worsen in the late morning or late afternoon, generally the times before mealtime or when you've gone a long while without eating. And they may notice an improvement after eating. People with reactive hypoglycemia tend to crave sweets and they may notice that eating sweets temporarily relieves their anxiety symptoms. But of course, this is only temporary. It's usually followed by a worsening or exacerbation of their symptoms. Okay, so let's recap this process of reactive hypoglycemia. Your blood sugar levels drop too low. Your body compensates or deals with this by releasing epinephrine and norepinephrine. These chemicals trigger the fight or flight response in your body, which triggers the symptoms of anxiety. Now this becomes a vicious cycle since people will eat sweets and refined carbohydrates to temporarily lessen these symptoms. But like I mentioned earlier, this only works temporarily and just makes you crave sweets even more. 
after a sugar load like a soft drink or candy, you'll typically get another hypoglycemic episode one and a half to two and a half hours after you ingested the sugar. Okay, so if this sounds like you or if any of this is resonating with you, I recommend having your blood sugar levels checked with testing through your naturopathic or medical doctor. Now the test that's uh, probably the best in terms of assessing for hypoglycemia is one called a glucose tolerance test. Glucose tolerance test. And that's done over a four-hour period. Half-hour readings are taken. No special diet is needed prior to doing the testing. Okay, so a glucose tolerance test, GTT for short, four hours with half-hour readings. And I will include a listing of all the tests that we talk about in the show notes. If you are hypoglycemic, there are some uh, key changes that you'll want to make to your diet to help balance your blood sugar levels. And what I've noticed in my practice is these suggestions are generally beneficial for most people with anxiety, even if you aren't necessarily hypoglycemic. Okay, so first is to avoid all refined carbohydrates and sugars. So things like candy, soft drinks, junk food, white flour-based foods. Instead of white rice, choose brown rice. Instead of regular pasta, choose brown rice pasta. Instead of white potatoes, choose sweet potatoes. Okay, so these are examples of substitutions you can make, options that you're choosing that are lower on the glycemic index and are not going to spike your blood sugar as much in comparison. Okay, so that's the first step. Eat lower glycemic foods. Secondly, you want to make sure that you have a healthy source of protein with every meal and every snack. Now, healthy protein means foods like lean meats, fish, legumes like chickpeas, beans, lentils, nuts and nut butters like almonds and almond butter, hummus, goat cheese. So for example, if you were to eat an apple as a snack, have a handful of almonds before you eat the apple. Having the protein with the carbohydrates helps you prevent the spike in your blood sugar that would happen by eating the carbohydrates just on their own. Now, I want to stress that I'm not advocating anything like an Atkins diet or other similar high-protein diets. That extreme can lead to other problems. Having too much meat can cause sugar cravings because your body is attempting to reestablish that protein-carbohydrate balance and does so by initiating those sugar cravings. Okay, so everything in balance. Having a healthy source of protein with every meal and every snack, but a typical serving size of protein being, you know, about the size of your palm. The high protein foods that seem to work best over time are the chlorophyll rich types like spirulina, chlorella, and wild blue green algae. Okay, and then thirdly, go no more than two to three hours without eating. Basically, this amounts to having a snack mid-morning and another snack mid-afternoon. So the idea here is to have smaller, more frequent meals. Now, this last point is most important for people with blood sugar issues. Otherwise, you know, sticking with three main meals per day should be fine. The first two points, avoiding refined sugars and having a healthy source of protein with every meal, 
I believe those points are helpful for everyone. All right, so that covers reactive hypoglycemia. Next, I want to talk about excessive caffeine use. Excessive caffeine intake can cause symptoms that are indistinguishable from those of anxiety, like nervousness, irritability, insomnia, and palpitations. And the degree or intensity of these symptoms is often dose-related, meaning that the more caffeine you drink, the stronger the symptoms. And research shows that people with anxiety tend to be more susceptible to the anxiety-inducing effects of caffeine. Now, this could be due to slower caffeine metabolism in these people or an exaggerated response or sensitivity to caffeine. Now, in the case of caffeine, there have been studies done with individuals who specifically have social anxiety. So we know that it's been found that individuals with social anxiety disorder are particularly vulnerable to the negative effects of caffeine. One study showed that high caffeine consumption was associated with increased use of anti-anxiety drugs. Another study showed that psychiatric patients, okay, people that were hospitalized for at least six months, had significant improvements in terms of their anxiety, their irritability, and hostility when they limited caffeine for three weeks. Those improvements were, were reversed, all the symptoms came back, once those patients went back to their usual caffeine consumption. Now, this is not even including the fact that caffeine can be a common trigger for hypoglycemia, which we just talked about. So, based on all this evidence, I think it's very reasonable to do a three- or four-week trial of completely avoiding caffeine. So that includes coffee, black tea, chocolate. In order to determine if caffeine is a contributing factor to your anxiety or not. And this can be beneficial if you drink a lot of coffee or even even if you just drink a small amount. Because if you're sensitive to caffeine, even a small amount can be a trigger for you. Okay, so if you do notice a difference... After that three-week trial, if you notice a decrease in your anxiety symptoms, then you want to continue avoiding caffeine. I know that may sound a bit harsh, but it comes down to what you're willing to do in order to get better. I can just hear a collective boo from all the coffee drinkers out there. I know, I like coffee too, but I did find that I felt personally much less anxious when I stopped drinking coffee. I'm one of those people who I think are sensitive to the effects of caffeine, even in small amounts. So now what I do is I just stick with green or white tea, a little lemon, and you know, it's all good. Unfortunately, caffeine, much like other substances, can become an addiction. And what I've noticed in practice is that it's usually the people who give me the dirty looks when I make this suggestion or tell me, I'm crazy or that I'm being unreasonable when I make the suggestion to avoid uh, coffee or caffeine. It's those people who are going to experience the biggest benefit. But of course, you won't know until you try. So I encourage you to try out a three-week caffeine-free trial. Alcohol is another substance you want to be mindful of. Long-term alcohol use can reduce levels of critical nutrients needed for brain function, especially the B vitamins. Treatment of alcohol use in patients with social anxiety has been shown to reduce anxiety levels. 
So to figure out if you may have a problem with alcohol, ask yourself these four questions. Have I ever felt I needed to cut down on my drinking? Have people annoyed me by criticizing my drinking? Have I ever felt guilty about my drinking? Have I ever felt like I needed a drink first thing in the morning to steady my nerves or to get over a hangover? If you answer yes to any two of those questions, you may have a drinking problem, and I strongly encourage you to seek help. There is no question about the negative effects of alcohol abuse on mood, including anxiety and depression. So that's a factor that definitely needs to be taken care of in order to get better. Okay, so let's switch gears slightly here. Next, I want to look at artificial sweeteners, in particular, aspartame. Anxiety has been reported to be one of the adverse effects of the artificial sweetener aspartame. Aspartame is found in candy, soft drinks, gum, and lots of packaged foods. This relationship to anxiety has been proven in studies where symptoms went away when people avoided aspartame, and then the symptoms returned again when the aspartame was reintroduced. So this one is a no-brainer to me. We're seeing evidence that artificial sweeteners can have impacts on blood sugar similar to the effects of white sugar. So there really is no benefit in terms of eating them. Just for overall health reasons, please stay away from all artificial sweeteners. Sucralose, aspartame, these are all toxins that will only do harm in your body, including being potential triggers for anxiety. Okay, so avoid artificial sweeteners. Enough said on that one. Next, let's look at food allergies. There are many, many case reports where food allergy was found to be a contributing factor to anxiety. Here are a couple examples and I'm going to read for you. The first one, a 41-year-old woman had a 15-year history of anxiety attacks. Tachycardia, where is basically, which is basically when her heart beats too quickly, shortness of breath, and an array of other symptoms. The symptoms occurred every two to three weeks, lasted several hours, and left her weak and tired for days after. The attacks were traced to dairy products and corn. When she avoided these foods, her symptoms completely went away. Okay, so that was basically a 41-year-old woman who had anxiety or panic attacks. Another case study, a 27-year-old male had a seven-year history, seven history of anxiety and dysthymia. Dysthymia is a thyroid imbalance. And uh, this had you know, failed to respond to conventional therapy. He had tried a lot of pharmaceuticals. He also had gastrointestinal symptoms like constipation, abdominal pain, diarrhea, nausea, heartburn, along with fatigue and lightheadedness. After four weeks on an elimination diet where he avoided the most commonly known food intolerances, his symptoms improved significantly. And at the time of the writing of the case report, he had been symptom-free for over a year since avoiding the foods that he had specifically reacted to. We could do an entire podcast about food allergies alone, which I think you know I may do in the future. Food sensitivities and intolerances are an often overlooked trigger that can make a major impact in one's life. What can make food sensitivities so tricky is that the reaction can be delayed. 
up to 12 hours after ingestion of the food in some cases. So it can be hard to go back and pinpoint which food caused the reaction, or you may not even relate your symptoms to foods at all, even though they are playing a role. The bottom line is that there does seem to be a higher prevalence of social anxiety disorder in individuals who have celiac disease or a food sensitivity to gluten. Gluten is the type of protein that's found in grains like wheat and rye. Okay, and there's greater rates of anxiety also in people suffering from irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And that's a condition that's also been linked to food allergies. Therefore, ruling out the possibility of food allergies and intolerances is, in my opinion, an essential step to take when investigating the underlying causes of social anxiety disorder. I encourage you to seek out the help of a naturopathic doctor so you know, so you can get that help walking you through the process of identifying which foods you are sensitive to. Now, a condition that has not received much research attention, but interestingly exhibits symptoms very similar to those seen in social anxiety, is called pyroluria. Pyroluria is a genetic condition that results in nutritional deficiencies, most commonly vitamin B6, zinc, and gamma-linoleic acid, or GLA. Sufferers of pyroluria experience shyness, inner tension, and social anxiety. Symptoms that go away after supplementation with the nutrients that I just mentioned. Pyroluria is also sometimes called the mauve factor, mauve as in the color, and it was first identified in the 1960s, uh, which much of the original work being done by Dr. Abram Hoffer, who treated patients with schizophrenia in a hospital setting. It's been estimated that 40% of people with psychiatric disorders and alcohol addiction may have this condition. It's interesting to note that individuals with pyroluria also have greater incidence of gluten sensitivity, which points again to the need to investigate the possibility of food intolerances. Amazing how everything connects together, isn't it? So testing for pyroluria can be done through a specialized urine test called cryptopyrol and may be especially appropriate if deficiencies of zinc and vitamin B6 are suspected. So here are some signs that may indicate you are deficient in zinc. You have a weakened immune system. You're prone to getting colds, flus, or other infections. You experience hair loss, any skin lesions or rashes, spots on your nails, loss of appetite, or loss of sense of smell. If you suspect you may have a zinc deficiency, I recommend a test called the zinc tally taste test. The zinc tally taste test, where basically you hold a solution of zinc in your mouth for about a minute. And people who are zinc deficient will not taste the metallic taste of the solution. It's basically just going to taste like water to them if they are zinc deficient. Now, signs of uh, vitamin B6 deficiency include things like sore tongue or cracking around the corners of your mouth, depression, dermatitis or itchy skin, low energy or trouble concentrating, 
again the test that you want to ask your doctor about if you suspect these nutrient deficiencies or pyroluria is called cryptopyrol. And again, I'll include all the names of the recommendations of all the tests I mentioned in today's episode in the show notes, which can be found at calmlivingblueprint.com forward slash five. I think it's interesting to note that from a traditional Chinese medical perspective, worry and anxiety are thought to affect the earth element, which is represented by the spleen pancreas and stomach organs in Chinese medicine. And these organs are responsible for digestion and the distribution of nutrients. Since worry damages the pancreas and its enzyme production, nutritional problems of every sort are possible. A lot of people who suffer from anxiety also suffer from irritable bowel syndrome, for example. In Chinese medicine, the motivation behind worry is seen as an attempt to figure things out, you know, from every perspective, because of doubt or insecurity on the part of the individual. But they believe that when one has faith that life you know, just works out according to its own perfection, then real acceptance becomes possible. And as a result, the busy mind can then relax. Now, from a nutritional perspective, eating meals with simpler combinations of food can support that idea of kind of a deeper, less busy thinking. So just simplifying the combinations of foods you eat can be helpful. All right, so let's recap what we've covered so far because we've covered a lot. A very reasonable nutritional approach to treating social anxiety disorder with food involves eating a diet rich in lean protein, vegetables, and omega-3 fatty acids like fish, nuts, and seeds, while at the same time avoiding refined carbohydrates, processed foods, alcohol, and caffeine. You want to eat to support your blood sugar balance, smaller, more frequent meals. Investigating possible food allergies or intolerances can also be a good idea, along with ruling out the possibility of vitamin B6 and zinc nutritional deficiencies. All right, so your home play this week is to choose one of those areas and work solely on that. The one that you believe, if you were to change or improve upon, could make the most impact in your life right now in terms of how you're feeling. So for example, if you know that you probably drink too much coffee, start weaning off of coffee. You know, Gradually decrease your coffee consumption. If you know you drink too many soft drinks, start with cutting those out of your diet. If you know you probably aren't having a source of protein with every meal and every snack, Start by adding more healthy protein into your diet. The key is to choose just one thing and start there. Don't try to do everything we talked about all at once because you're just going to set yourself up for disappointment. Start simple and build from there. Once you have completed the first task, okay, the first thing that you've chosen to do, then move on to the next. I'd love to hear how you make out, what changes you make in your diet, and what you notice after making those changes. So I encourage you to leave a comment on iTunes and share your story with us. Uh, Let us know how it goes. 
Alright, so I hope that gave you some insight into how the food you put in your mouth can affect your mood and your brain function. There really is a lot that we can do to reduce anxiety and depression just by choosing the right foods for us. And that is something that is completely under your control. Listen to your body. It's going to let you know. Alright, so I'd appreciate hearing uh, your feedback on what you thought about this episode too. It was a little different than what we've been doing in previous episodes. My intention right now is to try to balance out uh, the physical, emotional, and mental aspects of health regarding how they affect anxiety. So I would love to hear your thoughts about uh, that and you know what, you, what you're thinking about that. Please leave a comment on iTunes or drop me a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash calm living blueprint. A big thank you to you if you have already left a comment. I really appreciate the feedback. Again, a reminder, the show notes can be found at calmlivingblueprint.com forward slash five, and that's five as in episode five. Thanks for listening. Till next week, I'm Candice Esposito. Keep calm and carry on. Mm -hmm.